Good day to all of our investors and general listeners. This is the Rudd Commentary. My name is Josh Rudd, and I'll be your host on this presentation. And with me today is Jack Herr, our Capital Markets Associate. And we have a special guest, Jack, Morgan Lindquist. Morgan is instrumental in working directly with our clients here at the Rudd Company. And she'll be presenting some investor questions we have received since our last program. Welcome, Morgan. Thank you. For our new listeners who may not be familiar with the firm, the Rudd Company is a wealth management firm headquartered in Fort Worth, Texas. We manage investments for clients across the country and specialize in active portfolio management, retirement planning, and the setup and management of employer-sponsored retirement plans. Jack, before I introduce our topic today, why don't you take our listeners into the trading room over the last month? Yeah, definitely. So for those of you who listen week to week, you probably know that we like to start with the economy. What you usually talk about on here is the consumer and consumer confidence. Today, we don't have those numbers quite yet for the month of July. And we're going to look into some other indicators and try to determine the health of the consumer and how they're doing over the last month. Josh, the first thing I want to talk about is actually retail. We've talked a lot in the trading room over the past month that online retail has actually gone up during this pandemic and that you know many people who are staying home are ordering most of their things online. But some interesting data came out as far as brick and mortar retail and how that's starting to recover as well. We've seen the consumer with the stimulus payments. Unemployment is pretty lucrative right now. Um, now that the economy is starting to open up, people are going more into the store and, and buying things that way. Additionally, unemployment claims are pretty stable and they're not decreasing as much as we would expect. There's still around 16 million people overall that are taking those claims. We'll see what happens when this extra $600 in unemployment benefits ends next week in July. We'll talk about the new stimulus deal here in a sec. I suspect that we may see a change in spending. I've heard from a lot of different people, a lot of businesses that we've talked to, that there's been a problem with this extra 600 benefit. Frankly, employees are just not willing to come back in because they're making more on unemployment. I'm glad they're going to address that in the next stimulus bill, and we'll find out that soon. Josh, are there any, any of these numbers that stand out to you as far as jobless claims or retail in particular? Those are all excellent points. And the first thing that I was thinking when you were walking through that review over the last month is that you're spot on with retail sales and really what has driven a lot of that increased activity online. You know, when you look at the consumer, there's a large portion of the population that when they lost their job, the unemployment and stimulus income really increased bank accounts quite a bit. You can see that through the savings rate. And a lot of the online retailers, the big names that we know and that we talk about every day, were the direct recipient of those increased cash payments going out to those that had lost their jobs. So I think you've seen an immediate impact and the earnings have really not been impacted by the recent pandemic as much as the brick and mortar firms. As you mentioned, this pandemic and, and the COVID virus and, and the current recession that we're in has really separated the companies that were strong going in to the pandemic from those that were very weak. And We've seen some business failures in the retail sector, but really, Jack, I think you would agree a lot of those businesses were already having trouble before the pandemic. A lot of the mall-based stores and the retail stores that maybe uh, are not on the leading edge of innovation, and, and not only that, but just basic things like product and fashion, and, and uh, I think you've seen a lot of those companies fail. So it wasn't a surprise to me, but we are watching the transfer payments and 
those stimulus checks ending here really soon and the impact that's going to have on the businesses that have really benefited by that. We are. One thing I want to go back to is you mentioned the mall stores, companies that may not have adjusted. And it was pretty clear when looking at some of these companies with little to no online platform that they were already struggling and this pandemic hurt them even more. You brought up stimulus. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things I'm hearing about the New Deal. This deal is tentative for now, so don't quote me on any of these things. In Washington, things can change very quickly. But what it's looking like is between a $1 and a $1.5 trillion stimulus deal. There were rumors that there would be a payroll tax cut in the deal, but now it's looking like there won't be. As far as unemployment, we talked about the extra $600 and people not returning to work because they were making more on unemployment than they would be going back to work. This new deal looks like unemployment's going to be about 70% of former pay. I think the goal here is to hold people over, but also incentivize them to go back to work. It does look like there's going to be a second round of PPP, but it's going to be a little more stringent in who gets it. It's going to be primarily for companies whose revenue is down more than 50% this year, primarily in industries that have been hit especially hard by the pandemic. Finally, $105 billion for schools who plan to reopen. Obviously, in some regions, we have some schools that are going to go primarily online. So we'll we'll see who exactly tries to reopen there. Also, to incentivize companies to hire back workers, there's going to be some tax credits for companies hiring workers. So not specific there with the tax credits too much, but we'll see. The final thing is there have been rumors that there are going to be direct payments to individuals. As we all know, $1,200 was the first round of stimulus direct payments. We'll see if that number holds. I haven't heard too much if it, if it will. Anything in there, Josh, that really sticks out to you? No, that's all very good. And I agree with you on the package. I was really hoping to see the payroll tax holiday or, or payroll tax cut. I agree with you. I don't think that's going to happen anytime just based on what we're reading now. I mean, that could change. As you're right, everything changes pretty quickly in Washington. But your points on you implied that, you know, the new stimulus or this fourth round of stimulus is really going to try to focus more on those that are in need instead of just blanketing all the consumers with help. So you're going to see a lot go to, like you said, businesses that were struggling. You're also going to see the direct payments. And what I was reading here recently was focus on larger families with more children, those that really need the help. And really the assistance, I believe, is targeted to helping those make rent payments and mortgage payments and trying to really curb those defaults and keep those defaults down and keep the individuals in their homes and families together. So I think that's better as far as targeting than we've seen in the recent past. I am still a little concerned that a lot of the activity we've seen in the economy, it's kept some businesses that should have naturally gone out of business because of poor management, a lack of innovation or execution from going out of business, which, and as we've talked about in this program many times, and I think our listeners know about us, you know, we are big supporters of a, of a capitalist system. And one of the consequences of that system is that it's very Darwinistic in uh, the way that it operates. Businesses that are not run well, they should go out of business and that capital really needs to be reallocated to businesses that are well-run and putting out new products that are more innovative and and putting people back to work and better paying jobs. So that's one of the consequences, I think, from these programs that I, I hope we're targeting a little more going forward. It's clear to me, both in the, the change in unemployment benefits and the targeting those companies that are revenue may be down more than 50%, that 
it's more of a clear plan this time around. And the companies who, like you said, are really needed are going to get it. The last thing I wanted to talk about here, and this is more of a short-term trend. Well, it's been a year now that you know we've seen good performance in precious metals. As far as recent breakout, we have seen a recent breakout in silver, a 25 to 30% move in the price there. A little bit of a short term, but I'm, I'm sure you'll have some long-term thoughts as well. With all the uncertainty that we talk about, and now that we're in earnings season, a lot of companies are still not releasing guidance for the rest of the year. I just wanted to have another discussion on gold and silver. I mentioned silver's breakout, but gold continues to move up and get closer to that 2,000 per ounce range that we talked a little bit about on last podcast. So Josh, do you have any thoughts on the recent breakout in silver, where these precious metals may go as we continue to operate in this environment of uncertainty? I had a feeling you would try to trap me on this question, Jack, and try to predict uh, metals prices, which is is very difficult. I will just say before I, I comment on you know the short term and, and share my thoughts on, on some of the recent activity in gold and silver that over the past 2,000 years, gold has been, as a standalone investment, really pretty poor as an investment. And I want to make that very clear. The companies that focus on productivity and innovation and, and build products that we use every day are the most exciting to me. And the new technologies coming out and, and finding those companies like the Amazons in the world that really disrupt our marketplace and, and really add a lot of value. That's where the growth is going to come from long term. Having said that, when we see things like inflation or monetary policy, you know, really flood the environment with excess cash. I know the, the M3 money supply isn't tracked anymore formally, but you can piece things like that together. And when you look at how much the money supply has increased, you can use an example of what you talked about earlier about, you know, these stimulus checks that have gone out. Over time, you would think that it would lead to inflation and really put downward pressure on the currency, Jack. A natural hedge to that historically has been precious metals. Our currency is no longer backed up by gold, and we were taken off the, the gold standard some time ago. But I can tell you that, that the market has a, an interesting and, and a very, very effective ability to reprice assets and I believe you could see continued upper pressure on both gold and silver in the near term. Like I said, long term, it's not something that our firm is going to focus on. You can't eat it. It doesn't pay dividends. But I can tell you that just based on recent history, I could see metals moving higher and specifically silver moving a lot higher in the near future. I don't think there's a lot of barriers to those precious metals moving up. I appreciate that insight. I did look a little bit, peaked a little bit at Morgan's questions. I'm talking about hedging the risk of an election. Maybe we'll get into gold and silver a little bit more there. I appreciate you taking our investors into the trading room over the last month and sharing some of the topics that you've seen and and that we're watching. Now let's move into our main topic for this program, which is do elections matter? I believe Morgan has heard a little bit about this from our investors (laughs) lately. Morgan? Yeah, this could be the understatement of a decade, but it's been an interesting year, guys. That has produced a lot of questions from investors. As we've been nearing the 2020 election and getting closer to November, a lot of those questions have been shifted to that arena. So I've compiled a list of questions that we've received over the past few months, the greatest hits, if you will. I'm hoping that you all can give some insight to our investors. All right, Josh, why do you think that some investors focus so much on the presidential election cycle? Well, Morgan, really good question. So 
As we've seen, all of us here, elections are a very common concern for investors for just a variety of reasons. But in order to answer this question well, I want to take a look at just a few of the different types of investors we service and how their concerns could be a little a little different. We have received the most frequent concerns for those who are retired or approaching retirement. So when you think about it, this group has spent their entire adult life accumulating assets. And if they are a client of ours, they've also been developing a plan that is based on really specific assumptions that result in their long-awaited enjoyment of, of some of the best years of their life. And most of this group no longer has earned income and are obviously concerned about the changes in policy that'll that'll impact that nest egg. And, and I believe that that's, that's really normal and expected. Another group of clients that has expressed concerns, although driven by factors that are very different from our retirees, are our working professionals and executives. Morgan, this group's a, a little different and seem to be more interested in growing their wealth over a longer period of time before retirement, so a little more focused on, on growth and higher returns. This group's going to include more of our higher performing professionals. And Morgan, we're talking about sales executives, healthcare, doctors, attorneys, real estate executives that we have in private equity, and also top executives at, at some local and, and well known publicly traded companies. And Morgan, the, the difference is this group, personal taxes are, are really a primary concern. Really, any change in legislation that may impact their ability to perform at a really high level, that's going to get their attention. The last and by far the most vocal group has been our entrepreneurs. These investors include those who, you know, they can run a, a small family business or they could own a meaningful stake in, in a much larger company. But these investors are paying really close attention to any change that could impact their business. But they're also very interested in any impact to their personal financial situation, such as taxes we talked about before, or to their family and their legacy. So really, our entrepreneurs and the founders of, of these companies carry the concerns of both the prior two groups. They usually have a considerable influence over their companies and have invested time and money implementing personal and legal and tax strategies to ensure they continue to grow their business and legacy and, and are understandably focused on any policy change that can disrupt that. So Morgan, all three of these types of investors have something in common. They all have accumulated or in the process of accumulating wealth that could be impacted through a change in legislation and, and really this upcoming 2020 election. My point here is that in my experience, most investors don't like uncertainty and elections, especially presidential elections, present a lot of it. This election cycle, though, I found that we've had more questions than maybe previous ones. While people are always concerned with tax changes and legislation changes, is this cycle different for any specific reason of the, the kind of inundation of questions that we've had? Well, I can tell you that right now, and it's a really good point, right now there's such a, a wide gap between a lot of the policy suggestions that are out there. You know, in the past, I've been doing this for quite a while and the presidential election cycle is nothing new to our firm. But when you look at the differences in policy, we've seen that gap widen quite a bit. And it's based on a lot of basic uh, philosophies on the economy and social issues where we would normally expect if the election didn't go the way that, that an investor personally thought it should go, there was a general thought that there would be some type of compromise and the uncertainty really was not quite as large as, as maybe we had thought. Yeah. 
And so I think your point's a good one. The, the gap between the two policy paths is pretty wide. And what we see here at the firm is that it has gotten wider here over the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, do you think there's something to people just with everything that's gone on this year, paying more attention to the election cycle, just with all the issues in the, in the country and, you know, especially the lockdowns, a lot of people staying at home and um, <laughs> not home. wanting to kind of form an opinion on these things. Do you think that has anything to do with it? Jack, I think, I think that's spot on and a really good point. And it's just something that we've, a lot of us have focused on as, as we've been inside our homes. You know, I, I didn't believe that, that Americans would respond as a group to any directives from the federal government. And here I'm looking back and over the last five, six months, and we did, you know, we all recognized the threat of, of the COVID virus and we all, for the most part, stayed at home and put on our mask, and we're trying to, to do our part in getting through this. And, and I think as a consequence of that, we're not able to be focused on things like baseball and, and football and, and taking our children to school and going out and enjoying time with large groups of friends. So I think you're exactly right. I think our focus on the newsreel has been a little more than uh, in the past. Now that we've discussed taxes a little bit, let's talk about return. How much have election results affected investment returns in the past? Does one party have an advantage over another party? I know that everyone has a concern, despite what party that you affiliate with. Great question. And Morgan, I don't know if this is the most common, but I think it's probably the most interesting and popular question that I get. And I get this question everywhere. I can get this from a client or I can get this at a weekend barbecue in the neighborhood or I get this standing in line at Starbucks. So it's, it's, it's definitely top of mind for investors. Based on my extensive personal research over the last two decades, there are definitely observable patterns that align with the presidential election cycle. And, and this is going back, Morgan, over the last hundred years. But contrary to what you may hear from many politically motivated individuals, I have found in the short term, the correlation between stock market returns and the election cycle has less to do with which party wins and more to do with what point you choose to measure in the cycle. And, and that might be a little confusing, so let me explain that further. I found two important takeaways from my research on the presidential election cycle. First, there are some pretty clear patterns if you break each cycle in half or just in, in just two-year increments. So the first would be at the beginning of the first two years after a president is elected, and the second would be the two years prior to their re-election. Okay. So just the first and second half. And on average, the markets generally underperform in the first two years after a presidential election, but then have historically outperformed in the last two years of the second half of the cycle leading up to the next election. It's kind of interesting, Morgan, that if you look at the recent 2016 election, and I know we have COVID in there, but if you throw out COVID, the most recent stock market performance would certainly fit this pattern. When you speculate as to why this has occurred over the last 100 years, you're going to get a lot of different opinions. My thoughts are pretty basic, and, and I'll share them with you here. In the first half of a cycle, the winning administration is going to be a little more consumed with policy changes that were promised during the campaign, right? And the, the second half is really about getting reelected. And I hate to use this term, but, but just goosing the economy in order to do that. And, and the reason I say that, there are some very compelling statistics on getting reelected or, or reelection success if the economy and markets are doing well, 
in the three months leading to an election, right? which may or, or may not be within the candidate's control, but the data is very clearly there. My second observation, and I want to make a point here, Morgan, I believe this is the most important factor or important data point for investors to take away from this program, is that any short-term performance advantages or disadvantages that occur as a result of a presidential or congressional change has in most cases disappeared by the end of the four-year cycle. And it's just kind of a general, Jack and I talk a lot about reversion to the mean in, in market volatility and the statistics of what we do. And all I'm saying is that after a strong move after an election, history has shown with pretty consistent results that the returns will average or, or revert to that mean within the four years between presidential elections. I wouldn't expect for those results, those post-election results to continue. I, I would expect those to, to come back to the average. So the main point here, just to reinforce, is that any short-term deviation from the average has more to do with investors focusing all their economic and policy concerns to one point in time where they think that information might change. And then we typically revert back to the mean. I just want to remind all of our investors and clients that may be listening that at this firm, I try to remind our team that in our system of government, our elected leaders by design don't have as much impact on the direction of the long-term economy as we might think. I would argue that our election results really reflect economic and cultural changes that have already happened or just farther down the road than we might think. Take the, the coronavirus as an example. COVID didn't change the way we use economic stimulus as much as it just showed how much more risk adverse and accommodative our central bank and policymakers already are. Our financial system and idea of government has changed significantly from just 15 years ago, probably much more than we realize. I think that's important to remember that things might get a little crazy, but it'll calm down. I think preparing yourself for that is important. Moving along, do you feel the results of the 2020 election could have an impact on investments over the short term? Sure, I do. I believe the stock and bond market's immediate response to the 2020 election results will be more volatile than in the past, but not strictly because of who is elected. As they do so well, Morgan, the markets will measure the difference between expectations and reality. The markets will broadcast in real time where our interests are and where our beliefs are just as a society in general. Mm -hmm. And this has the potential to catch some market participants off guard or, or introduce some uncertainty. I think a great example of that, what you were just talking about, Josh, is 2016. We saw during the actual election when the votes were being counted, futures were way down, and then the market kind of adjusted, put some money into certain sectors that they thought would do well. Some money came out of other certain sectors. I think the market broadly adjusts and you know, kind of goes from there based on who's elected. Jack just brought up a really good point that I'd like our investors to to think about. It, it's not that I expect everybody listening to this to be a stock picker, but I would say that the presidential cycle, one of the data points that I didn't mention that, that has popped up through my research is that sectors are impacted much more by who's elected because of specific policy. Think about healthcare and energy as an example. There are very different policy ideas between the two parties that are running. So, Jack, I think that's an excellent point and something our investors should uh, should think about. So let's talk about the long term. How is this going to affect investment results in the long term? Really, really good, good question. So unrelated to this election, I believe the equity and bond markets are becoming 
more volatile, Morgan, just in general due to a host of factors, but many have really been in the work for decades. And really, this has to do with our changing society and our attitudes regarding our current financial system, the allocation of personal capital, property rights, and the overall system of government that we choose. In the end, the long-term economic and stock market performance will ultimately be driven by economic and business fundamentals. And think about this, heavily changing demographics in this country, new focus on trade policy, and the rising impact of of monetary policy in our country. So I think those factors are going to have more of an impact long-term than just which party's elected on this specific presidential election. When you say fundamentals, can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. So when you take a look at a specific company and their management team's idea of how much cash that the company should hold, the allocation of capital into different projects, what type of talent they're attracting, the type of, you know, when you just think, Jack, for example, about our view on lean uh, production and just-in-time inventory, think about the different approach that companies are going to take now in light of COVID of supply chain disruptions. Can we afford to have almost zero inventory? So you're going to see a lot of working capital increases and a focus on holding inventory, which is going to be a big change to how we do business. So those are the wins that are are going to impact the returns long-term more than a specific party being in play. And you didn't ask, but one of the things that I want to focus on here too, let our investors and listeners know, is changing demographics in this country has a much larger impact than we probably realize. And you see today with what's going on in the larger urban communities and and a lot of the dissatisfaction with local and state governments, a lot of that's because of changing demographics and ideas in the country. So I just want to call our investors' attention that while we may think that elected officials have a tremendous impact on the long term of our society and investment returns, if you step back, there are a lot of other factors that carry the lion's share of the impact and momentum on where those returns are going. The Rudd Company... We take pride in being proactive in everything we do. So I wanted to ask, is the Rudd Company making any strategy adjustments ahead of the 2020 election? Well, I know Jack might want to jump in here, too. This is just a very common question we're getting right now and just really casually on phone calls and reviews that we're doing. And it's a pretty easy one to answer. As Morgan said, here at the Rudd Company, we focus on the long term. And in fact, it's kind of our mantra here at the firm. And it would be incorrect to say that we are not planning for policy changes as a result of of the 2020 election. I mean, don't get me wrong, we are. We believe there are some very different paths, as we discussed earlier, in both economic and, and social policy, depending on the results of the election that could have an impact on our investors. Having said that, I want to draw a clear distinction between preparing for a change in policy and moving to defensive assets because we don't agree with a particular candidate. As I stated previously, we believe many of the proposed policy or regulatory changes that could occur are not just appearing out of nowhere, but may have been in the works for some time. For our long-term investors, you know firsthand, I mean, just by looking at your statement, that we consider our investment strategy a very dynamic process that transcends the presidential cycle. We work very hard in an attempt to stay ahead and help our investors prepare for those changes. Like you brought up earlier, different trends, demographic changes here in the U.S. I think we're more focused on the long-term aspect of those rather than which candidate wins and their personal policy decisions. And finally, what can you say to those clients who are still concerned about the election and what impact the results may have on the direction of the economy and their investments? 
Morgan, that's that's it, right? So we've gone through our program today, and I'm sure there's still some listeners that are still pretty concerned. So of course. I would first acknowledge that our investors have endured quite a bit over the last few years and are understandably more concerned about their investment portfolio today than just a few years ago. Just to drive home that point, just look back at the current election cycle for reference. The 2016 presidential results, I mean, Jack mentioned this earlier, they surprised the heck out of most investors and deviated from the polls by a pretty wide margin. Remember, investors don't like uncertainty. At the end of 2018, as many of our listeners may have forgotten, saw a significant market sell-off that caught investors off guard. Again, investors don't like uncertainty. And 2019 saw the stock market lunge forward for an incredible double-digit year. Jack and I have talked about this in our reviews. I mean, we look back at 2019, and the returns are not just in the double digits, but they're in the high teens and lower 20s. While this was a welcome for many of us, remember, 2018 drove many investors out of the market ahead of that return. Investors don't like uncertainty. In 2020, when you look at this year, Jack, I'd be willing to bet, is going to be defined by COVID and really has been a strain on everything from getting groceries to job uncertainty to just going outside or having to stay at home and and really straining our nerves. And again, I go back to investors not liking uncertainty. When you think about that, I'm not going to call it a perfect storm, but it has been a really challenging election cycle for most of us. So having been through all this, I would tell investors and our clients not to be too hard on themselves if they've been concerned. If you step back and wondered what the heck's going on and if this is normal, it's not normal. And what you just went through was a change and not the recent norm. We've certainly been through a lot. And for many of us, your nerves might be a little worn. However, I would remind you that America is resilient and Americans are resilient. We have been through tough times before. And I truly believe our choices and resilience are what define us, not our circumstances. Here's my recommendation. Take a step back. Look at your strategy going into the presidential election season. Make sure you have a well-thought-out and diversified investment strategy. And don't forget that economic and investment fundamentals are what drive long-term investment performance, not political posturing or media sensationalism. While investors don't like uncertainty, actual policy and economic impact will be determined by our individual choices, habits, and character. The candidates that are elected, surprisingly, are just a result of these choices that we have already made. So until November, take some time and really consider the candidates, the impact of their proposed policy, and exercise your American freedom to get out and vote. Morgan, anything else? No, I just want to thank our investors for sending questions and asking questions and participating. We love to help wherever we can, and we are always happy to give a second opinion. And thank you guys for having me on today. Well, thank you, Morgan. As always, if you enjoyed this program or know other investors that would find this information valuable, please share the Rudd Commentary podcast through email or on social media. We also like feedback on our program and ideas for future topics. If you have the time, we enjoy hearing from you. Speaking of future topics, Jack, I would like to begin giving our listeners a sneak peek on what we'll be covering on next month's podcast. Absolutely. I hear we're talking about how to make a real impact through charitable giving. We are. I think it's an important topic and something that a lot of people, including me, wonder is how do I contribute and actually make a difference to a charity, whether that's through my time or through monetary value. I'm excited and look forward to that podcast. Yeah, so am I. It's been a real joy preparing for that as we have been the last month. 
All of us here at The Rudd Company would like to thank you, our investors and clients, for your trust. Thank you for allowing us to be your partner in your long-term financial journey. We take our role very seriously. Thank you very much for listening today. This is The Rudd Commentary. I'm your host, Josh Rudd. And from all of us here at The Rudd Company, invest long and prosper. This commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes any offer to sell or solicitation of any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company are the Rudd Company's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Rudd Company or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply the Rudd Company's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice.